Gavin Wood's Countdown Podcast, proudly brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hi, this is B. Bertels, and you're listening to Gavin Wood's Countdown Podcast. I'm a very big fan of this man. This man has done so many great things in the Australian music industry and also in the world music industry. He was a member of one of the founding bands that paved the way for lots of other bands like ACDC, Men at Work. He was a member of the Little River Band and one of the great harmonies and and has written some fabulous songs. And our podcast today is with Beeb Bertels. Hello, Beeb. Hey, Gavin. How are you? I'm very well. It's great to speak to you in Nashville. That's right. Yes, that's, I've been here for a long, long, coming up to 28 years, if you can believe it. I've lived here. Gee, you've grown a family. Yeah, I know. You know, it's funny what took me here in the first place, but um, uh, it's been a great place to live, actually. And, you know, what drew me here, obviously, was the, the songwriting community in the first place. Yeah. Nashville being such a songwriting town. That's where I've lived and, you know, and I'm still doing basically the same thing. I, I still love to write songs and, um, you know, uh, get in the studio and produce and re- record and stuff like that. I, I guess you could say it's in my blood, you know. Well, it, yeah, it's like radio to me. Once it's in your blood, it never goes away. Right. Now, B. Bertels, you were born in Amsterdam, Netherlands. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes, I was born there in nine, back in 1948. Yep. You were there for only, you know, like like 10 years or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah, it was uh, uh, 10 years. Uh, I was 10 years old when my parents um, made the decision to uh, emigrate to Australia. Mm. And um, we uh, actually, we, you know, we came, uh, went by boat through the Suez Canal and uh, we ended up in Melbourne and then uh, caught the train from Melbourne to Adelaide because my parents had decided to settle in Adelaide for reasons I can't tell you, but I'm very grateful because Adelaide, you know, turned out to be such an amazing music town in Australia. And so... Well, um, yeah, Elizabeth had all the, all the 10-pound palms there. That's right. There was, a, there was a lot of English people, a lot of uh, Dutch people, of course, like myself, at... Uh, many, many people from Europe uh, gravitated uh, to um, settling in Adelaide, and uh, you know it was a, it was a great melting pot for uh, for music and and different uh, you know nationalities as well, uh, which produced some of the greatest bands Australia have, has ever seen. I've got to take you back at the age of ten. Yeah. Did you have any sense that you know you were leaving your mates or anything like that, or or were you just focused on going to a new land well i mean it was <laughs> it was kind of a, it was unusual because you know the only language i spoke back then was dutch so i i didn't really communicate with many mm. people until you know my first year after being thrown into school there with all my other uh, immigrant friends from europe now i mm. had no inclination really of what was going to happen to my life at that age I, I i just did what everybody else was doing at that particular time in australia i, I got involved in playing australian sports you know tennis cricket and i played a little bit of baseball and mm. stuff like that and it wasn't really until my high school years that i became interested in music and, and that was due to um a really, really good friend of mine who was English, 
and um, he came from Manchester, in the, uh, which was the hometown of the Hollies. And uh, we we started, you know, we started right. going to each other's places. And and John, his name was John Darcy, and he would uh, start teaching me Holly songs, and 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 teaching me, you know, what the harmonies were doing and stuff like that. Yeah. That that was yeah. really my first introduction into music. And that was in about maybe my second or third year of high school. Right. What great role models to have, though. You know, you've got Alan Clark and Terry Sylvester. Yes. Tony Hicks was the guitar player. Graham Nash was the original. And then Terry Sylvester took over once Graham Nash left to go to the States and, and join up with Stephen Stills and David Crosby. Ah, you are correct, sir. That is right, yes. I, I idolised Graham Nash because I, I really thought, I really thought our voices, my voice and his voice, had a, had a certain quality about it that brought that certain thing to a harmony group. It's like the glue, isn't it? It's like the glue that brings the other two parts together. That's right, exactly. And, and you know, and that's that's the element uh, that I brought not only to Zoot, but Mississippi and then Mississippi into Little River Band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Tommy, uh, how did you get out of Adelaide? Was it uh, with Mississippi? No, no, no. Uh, Mrs. Uh, it was with Zoot oh, okay. in, in 1968 when when Zoot had become, you know, like the, the top of the rank mm. in uh, in Adelaide. We decided to make the move to Melbourne, and, um, and of course now I'm talking about the original members, the original founding members of Zoot, um, which was Daryl Cotton, Daryl Cotton, myself, yeah. and uh, we had a drummer, Ted Higgins, okay. and. But by that time, John Darcy had already left the group. He didn't want to move to Melbourne because he wanted to continue his studies uh, at university. So right. we, he was replaced by a guitar player called Steve Stone. But, you know, within three weeks of being in Melbourne, Ted, the drummer, and Steve, the guitar player, decided that nah, they didn't want to hang in with this and, and uh, they, w they went back to Adelaide. And so Daryl and I... Yeah, they were homesick. I, I don't know exactly what reasons, but, you know, Daryl and I said, well, we're not going to go back to Adelaide. We're going to reform the group. And um, in, and so we found Rick Brewer, who became the drummer in yeah. Zoot. Yeah. He'd come across with us, actually, from Adelaide. And um, and through Wayne DeGrucci, who was kind of managing us at that point, um, we found Roger Hicks, who became uh, Zoot's, second guitar or third guitar player actually right and so that was the lineup that recorded uh you know one times two times three times four and um monty yeah. and me and some of the mm -hmm. other some of the other songs that landed on the the very first zoot album right right so that's that's what took us to melbourne was zoot so Zoot is quite a kind of an unusual name. Yeah. How did how did Zoot come along? Well, I mean, the the name. Well, we had a couple of different names in Adelaide. We started off as a group called Times Unlimited, mm. and which quickly uh, when when Daryl Cotton joined Zoot, uh, we decided to change our name and we chose a, a Holly song, which which was named uh, Down the Line. 
And uh, so for a very, very short time, we were called down the line. And then we were um, approached by two guys in Adelaide who were kind of uh, managers, promoters, one of whom was Doc Neeson. Oh, And okay. um, Doc Neeson <laughs> said to us, we really like your band and we think you have a lot of potential, but we hate your name. Okay. Um, you know, why don't you change it to something like Voot, you know, which doesn't really mean anything, but it's just a short and punchy word and and people people will love it, you mm. know. And, and the reason why he suggested that was because <laughs> Doc was a huge fan of uh, Zoot Money's big roll band, who were a band in England okay. that yeah. had some notoriety but really didn't do anything uh, on a on a, an international level, you know. So anyway, we thought about the name for about three weeks and decided, yeah, we kind of like this. You know, it's unusual, doesn't mean anything. So we changed our name to Zoo. And we, we never saw Doc Neeson and his partner again after that. He went off with a few angels, I'm sure. Uh, now, yes, I think I think <laughs> I think he did. Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives since 1934. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Hi, this is B. Bertels, and you're listening to Gavin Woods Countdown Podcast. Now, the main lineup of Zoot. How did uh, Rick Springfield come along and join the band? Well, Rick, Rick, Roger Hicks, after a while, got very tired of wearing the, the, the pink suits that we used to wear, and um, <laughs> and decided that he was going. He was invited to join the Brisbane Avengers. Now, you you should know about them. And uh, yeah, Julian Jones and uh, Keith Stretch Kerwin. Yeah, and you know, not long ago, mm. Stretch actually reached out to me on. Uh, Facebook and said, hey, do you remember me at all? I said, yes, of course I do. You were in the Brisbane Avengers, you know. Yeah, great guitarist. Yeah, and so uh, Roger ended up joining them and we were left without a guitar player and um, we um, had seen, well, actually I had sung harmonies on a wickedy whack record that Molly produced which was called Billy's Barkey's yeah. Voice. That was written by Johnny Young. I remember. And um, yeah. I, I just sang harmonies on that song, and, and Rick was, you know, in that band. And um, Daryl and I had both seen him play with Wicked Wack, and, and Daryl, you know, kind of bumped me and said, boy, I'd love to be in a band with that guy. Yeah. And so we approached Rick to join the group, and um, and he did. And the rest is history. Yeah, yeah, kind of is. Zoot wasn't around for many years, really, when you think about it. From the time that Rick joined, it was only about a couple of years, yeah, really, yeah. that we started having our real big success on an international, uh, on a national level right. in Australia, because um, you know we started uh, recording uh, Rick's original songs and um, and turning other people's songs into our own arrangements, which um, yeah. produced. Um, Eleanor Rigby. What a song and what an arrangement, huh? I know. It's, it's, you know, like it's amazing to me that people still, you know, love the arrangement of, the, of what we did with the song after all the all these years, you know. I mean, it's coming up to 50 years or mm. something, so. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the original lineup yeah. was uh, Daryl Cotton, singer, uh, Rick Springfield, uh, lead guitar, 
you vocals and and rhythm guitar, or were you no. were you bass? Yeah, I was a, I was a bass player in Zoot. I didn't start That's I right. didn't start playing guitar until Zoot broke up, okay. and of course Rick Brewer was the, the drummer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that original lineup, minus unfortunately Daryl Cotton, our dear dear friend, who's up there in the rock and roll heaven, having a good yeah. time. I'm sure we all miss him. Yeah. Uh, now Russell Morris has uh, stepped into the breach, and you guys are going to tour, which is so exciting. I think it's brilliant that you guys are coming back. Yeah. But because of COVID, it's October uh, 2022. Right. Yeah. Now it's been planned for the last couple of years, and and of course we couldn't get back to Australia because of the COVID restrictions and stuff, and so you know mm, it got bounced mm. from October of this year to October of next year. But in the meantime, we decided that between the three of us, Russell, Rick and myself, we would uh, attempt to write a song together, uh, which we did. And um, Rick, we, uh, I actually sent Rick uh, a rough idea of a song I had. And Rick uh, must have really liked mm. it because he, he put a melody to it and came up with a chorus. And then uh, we sent the music files to Russell in Australia, and Russell wrote the bridge, and uh, the bridge or the middle eight, as Australians call it. And uh, we mm. recorded this song between mm. the three of us, bouncing music files around the world. Brilliant. The song is kind of a throwback to the days when we were in Zoot and when Russell was, you know, a big solo star in Australia with the real thing and and all the songs that he had. And it's turned out to be a really, really cool song. You know, it's kind of Zoot 50. What's the name of it? It's called That Was Then. Oh, good, good title. It's cool because we've got a little audio clip of Daryl Cotton uh, at the front of the song wishing oh, nice. wishing our oh, fans good. a Christmas message. Hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's, oh, it's cool. It's cool, yeah. So take me back to your last gig, which was uh, 2011. On the rock and roll cruise out of Miami. Well, that was with with Darryl. Well, that was. I mean, think about it. That that was such an amazing uh, thing to do uh, because of the fact that mm. none of us knew what was going to be happening to Daryl. Short shortly after that, yeah. the idea came up uh, probably from Rick Springfield to do. He wanted to do. Uh, a reunion of Zoot on his Rick Springfield and Friends cruise, which went through the Caribbean. And um, okay. they uh, invited Rick Brewer to do it. And Daryl, of course, was in on it because uh, he, he he just would love for Zoot to do it one more time kind of thing. And um, yeah. for a while there, they thought I was a bit iffy about it, um, you know, that I didn't want to do it. But... I, you know, ha having been through the loss of the name of Little River Band and all of that, mm. I, I thought, wow, this could be something really, really fantastic. So I jumped at the chance and um, we uh, rehearsed in Miami and we put a, a, a song list together of all of the, the songs that we used to play back in the days of Zoot. And mm. it, it was absolutely amazing. And of course, it was recorded and videoed. It became a CD and DVD that was called uh, Zoot Live, and um, yeah. it it was the very last thing that we that we recorded with Daryl. Wow! 
That's amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I'm just so happy that uh, Zoot are coming back and you can get your tickets at the usual agencies for the uh, 2022 tour. Uh, and it'll be here in Melbourne right. and uh, all the capital cities all around Australia. That's right. And uh, I reckon it's going to go off. It's going to go off, babe. It's going to go off. Well, you know, I, I, it'll be I've been thinking a lot about, you know, what songs we could play and how to put it all together. And I, I think that the skeleton of what we came up with just between, say, Rick Springfield and myself, the song list, um, it, it is going to be a great show. And, um, you know, yeah. with some surprises thrown in as well. So, um it's going to be in oct October, yeah. early October of 2022. So, uh, and we're really we've yeah. been, you know, chomping at the bit, waiting, <laughs> waiting to get back to Australia to do this. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all looking forward to it. Now, let's go back a little bit. Uh, who were your musical, your early musical influences? Well, you know, as I said before, um, my good friend John Darcy, you know, uh, got me listening to the to the Hollies, the Hollies you know, yeah. and, and, you know, a lot of different bands from um, the early British invasion. I, I, I loved a lot of them, the Kinks, the Beatles, you know, the Animals, stuff, you know, all of those were my really, really yeah. first influences. But maybe it wasn't until Crosby, Stills and Nash that a huge influence on my songwriting was uh, David Crosby, who, of course, was in Buffalo Springfield and then The Birds and then Crosby, Stills and Nash. So, yeah, yeah the kind of songs that I, I like to write um, are heavily influenced mm. by him. But, you know, I mean, look, the list goes on and on as far as what influences yeah. I've had over the years, you know. Mm. You started writing at a very early age, didn't you? Didn't you do the B-side of Sadie for John Farnham? Is that true? No, uh, the the B-side of Sadie was a song that John himself had written and it was called In My Room. Oh, right. Did you sing on it? or There's some connection there with you. Yeah. Well, the connection is through Zoot. Zoot, Zoot um, backed John ah, okay. on a couple of songs. Uh, he recorded... He recorded a Gene Pitney song called Half Heaven, Half Heartache. Yeah, good song. And um, and then um, we also recorded In My Room that ended up becoming the B-side of Sadie. Okay. Um, so, yeah. And this is this is still when we were living, you know, back in, in Adelaide. And John would come across with his manager. Daryl Samuel was his manager at that time. Yeah. And uh, John, John was just just then kicking off his, you know, his solo career. Mm, but mm. Uh, we were in Zoot, and Zoot used to back people who would come from interstate, people like John and April Byron. We, we used to uh, back April Byron quite a bit. Yeah. Different people like that. Gavin, we were so young back then, you know. I mean, it's... Well, I was going to say, you, you actually classed as musicians when you start backing solo acts. <laughs> Yeah, okay. If you could okay, I'll go with you on that. If you want to call it that, then that's fine. <laughs> well, that's what you were, you know, really. You know, you yeah. could read their charts and, and get them on stage and get them off stage. Yeah. Now after Zoot was so successful, I remember a duo called Freeze. Yeah. And and you were very well dressed. Just explain that to us. Oh I, actually I don't know whether we have time to do this, but I'll tell you really quickly. Um, when Zoot broke up, Daryl yes. and I decided to stick together and we wanted to be a duo. And so um, 
we were approached by um, two guys who worked in advertising, and they had this brilliant idea that um, they they were uh, representing their client, Freeze Brothers, who made suits out of Melbourne. Uh And uh, they said to Daryl and me, look, we've got this great idea. We want you to form another group. We want the group to be called Deep Freeze, (laughs) and we want... We want you guys to be called after, you know, a fabric, a material. Hmm. So Daryl Cotton was, he was fine. You know, Daryl Cotton, he had the cotton name. But they wanted to call me, they wanted to call me Terry Lean. Oh, no. Oh, stop it. (laughs) Yes. No, definitely. This is serious. And and I was to have a brother called Crimp, (laughs) as in Crimpling. <laughs> oh, it's like it's like a so, junior announcer at a at a rock and roll radio station. Oh, you're going to be called Jim I Beam. Know. Yeah, God. yeah. Oh, exactly. And so Daryl and I, having just come out of you know the think pink think zoot thing, we looked at each other and we said, "Oh, these guys are crazy." Yeah. And we we told them, "Look, if you if we pursue this to form another group, we'll be laughed out of the music business." So we proceeded to talk them into. Um, you know, letting us be a duo and just be called Freeze. Mm. So that that's how that whole, du- <laughs> that whole duo thing came about. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so after that, Mississippi happened. Now, how did that all come together? Well, uh, uh, talking about Adelaide, it was another three guys from Adelaide, Graham Goble, John Mower, and uh, a guitar player called Russ Johnson. Uh-huh. Um, they had they had come out of a, an Adelaide band called Alison Gross, yes, and um, they Gross. caught yeah they caught the attention of Ron Tudor who ran the Fable label, hmm. and um, <clears throat> they were the three guys that actually recorded. Do you remember that version of Daddy Cool with the Chipmunk voices? Daddy who? Daddy Cool? Yeah, I do. Yeah, hmm. Daddy Cool, Daddy Cool. Okay, cool, that Daddy, was the Mississippi cool. guys, yeah. but. But with their voices sped up yeah. to sound like chipmunks, right. they had a huge hit with that. It, it came out under the name of Drummond. That's right, it and, did uh, too. <laughs> God, I forgot yeah, it was a that. it was a huge success mm. in Australia. And on the basis of that, Ron Tudor offered the guys um, a deal to record an album of their original material. Right. And so they did uh, in Melbourne. Uh, in uh, you know uh, what was it called AAV yeah. Armstrong recording, and um, that album produced Kings of the World, which was another top ten hit in Australia. Great song. And um, Great song. on the basis of the, the that song becoming a hit, the guys wanted to put a live band together because there was only three of them. They needed you know a drummer, a bass player, mm. and that's how I came to join Mississippi. And, um, you know, we, Mississippi lasted for like three years or something. We recorded, um, a couple of more singles early morning and also Will I that I had written with Daryl. Oh, yeah. I had written that with Daryl right. Cotton. And, um, yeah. And then we went to England on a, you know, one of those fateful English trips by boat mm. and, um, mm. broke up over there, but. But um, I knew that um, I knew that we were actually uh, Graham, Derek Polici, the drummer, and I were sitting around, you know, kind of like 
analysing why Mississippi wasn't a, a more popular band than we thought it should have been, and mm. we decided that it was we were lacking a, lead, a good lead singer. And I knew right. that that um, Glenn Shark was still living in London, and I, I phoned Glenn and and asked him if he'd be interested in you know coming over and listening to some of our songs and. And we were already thinking about reforming the band as Mississippi, um, which only you know didn't last very long because we changed that name to Little River Band, of course. Yeah, yeah. And that those that that was the beginning of the whole. That was the ending of Mississippi and the beginning of Little River Band. Right. Before we get on to that, and there's a lot to talk about here. Uh, you went. Okay. To, you, you went to Sunbury as as Mississippi. Yeah, that's that was Mississippi. Yeah. How, how was Sunbury? Um, I, I always ask people who go to Sunbury because I unfortunately missed it. How was the experience for you? It was fabulous because uh, we we performed at Sunbury uh, two years, couple uh, two consecutive years. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do remember that one of the performances that we did, and it was we performed Kings of the World, but we we actually uh, had an, had a, an orchestra behind us. Wow. Uh, on the Sunbury stage, okay. we uh, we did we did an acoustic set, and we performed Kings of the World with the orchestra. So, and then the other time that I remember uh, playing Sunbury was when uh, they brought Queen out right. to, to perform at to perform at Sunbury. I remember Queen were you know um, treated terribly uh, at the Sunbury thing because uh, they were just booing. The band and and uh, yeah, you know, the audience wasn't very receptive to them. Um, right, which which was a shame because considering what Queen went on to do after that was just phenomenal in in uh, the recording business. You know, going back to what your question was, uh, Sunbury, well, the two years that we performed at Sunbury, I, I have nothing but great great memories from from performing there for sure. Well, Mississippi morphed into hmm. LRB, although you didn't have a name then in England. You came back to Australia, yeah, and uh, got the got the band together. And in '75, uh, you wrote "Curiosity Killed the Cat." That must have been such a thrill for you, you know, having the first song from this great super band, right? Uh, one of your songs, yeah. And it was, you know, I it was very unexpected. I, I mean, I never even thought that one of my songs would have been possible as a single, really. Uh, I, I actually had written Curiosity while we were living in England. And um, uh-huh. and as always, Little River Band always, you know, kind of leaned on the record label to pick what they thought would be the singles. And uh, and so EMI uh, picked Curiosity to be the, to be the kickoff single for Little River Band. And, uh, you know, it was like a top ten song for us, uh, which kicked us off. I remember you were young and eager and wanted the band to succeed because I was a, a young DJ at 4BK in Brisbane one Saturday afternoon. Yeah. And Curiosity Killed the Cat. The whole band came into my studio and we had an interview. It was brilliant. <laughs> It would have been brilliant. I mean, I thought these guys are keen, right? Um, we, you know what? We were always very. I, I te- I'll tell you one thing, Gavin. This is one of the reasons why I think 
Little River Band broke the American market was because we were always so willing to go and do radio interviews and magazine interviews and, and paper reviews and stuff like that. And, um, right. I, I mean, we just saw that as, you know, part of the business, that, that that's what you had to do to promote yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and so, and so we, there we were at 4BK, around one mic with you, yes. and, uh, <laughs> and you, you got flustered because there were so many faces in front of you. Man, I was so nervous. <laughs> For you guys to walk in, it was like all my heroes in the one studio. You blew me you blew me out of the water. <laughs> and you know, it was so funny because back in those days, uh, I mean, I, honestly, I think we would have performed on Uptight just about every week. I mean, we mm. were constantly on television in Australia, whether yeah. it was Uptight or Happening 71 or a little bit later on Night Moves, um, yeah. you know, all these sounds with Donny. I mean, yeah, with dear you know, Donny. Australia had just so many incredible music programs and you couldn't help but become a famous face in Australia just because you were in front of people every week. Yeah, there was also Hey Hey It's Saturday and Countdown, you know. So exactly, there was yeah. Lots of platforms for you. Exactly, yeah. It was also before computers when you think about it, you know. And, yeah. And, and people, you know, their, their minds weren't uh, thrown in different directions. You know, people back then could focus on the music. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, you're right. And if it wasn't for those music platforms, um, you know, Australia wouldn't have had the music scene that it's had all these years. So you're in Little River Band from 75, but but then you and uh, you and yeah. Graham recorded a song, um, uh, I'm Coming Home. So you, you, you were still doing yeah. side projects. We were. Um you know, we got to a, we got to a stage where we had written so many songs between us. A lot of the songs, you know, because we were always a pretty democratic band as far as voting on what songs were recorded. Um, Graham and I got to a stage where we had so many songs left over that we thought were overlooked by the band um, that we decided we approached uh, our manager, uh, who then approached. Yeah the record label to see if uh, they would be willing to let us record a duo album. And it was also around the same time that Glenn Sharrock recorded an outside single. He recorded uh, Bobby Darren's Dream Lover. And, I remember, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so um, Graham and I got the opportunity to record uh, an album that was called The Last Romance because I had written a song for Mark Holden called Last Romance that was a hit for him. Right. And uh, and, Gra and Graham and I also recorded our own version of that right. song. Okay. But uh, really the big the big hit single from that album was a song called I'm a Coming Home yeah. that uh, Graham and I recorded and and once again it you know we were lucky enough that it was a top 10 single in Australia. Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hi, this is B. Bertels, and you're listening to Gavin Wood's Countdown Podcast. We haven't got time to go over the huge uh, history of LRB, but 
so many albums. I mean, yeah. um, well, let's get, let's let's talk about you because I'm talking to you. Your biggest LRB song was "Every Day of My Life," right? Uh, as as well as "Curiosity Killed the Cat." Right. Tell me about how, what motivation you got to write "Every Day of My Life." Well, every every day, every day of my life was actually I got frustrated with the guys in the band because we, you know, we come back from England and we'd seen all these great shows that these English bands put put on with their production behind them and everything and and uh, I I think we were a little bit slow off the mark to try and do that kind of thing in Australia and I, I became frustrated with that and so I wrote every day in my life but I was really having a, a bitch session at the guys in the band that's what that song is about right. you know um, okay but, did they pick up on that? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know, but but I tell you what, it came it came from our second album after ours, right? Um, that had every day of my life on it, of course, and uh, and to this day, I, I can't tell you how many fans of Little River Band still say that that album was the killer album that they loved from the band, yeah. even though we went on to do, you know, Diamond Tina Cocktail and Sleeper Catcher and uh, yeah. First Under the Wire and Time Exposure and Backstage Pass and all those, you know. I mean... All those wonderful albums. Yeah, we had a, we, I mean, we had an incredible run. And, um, of course, a lot of that was due to the fact that, you know, within a year of forming a little of a band, we were, you know, we were in the States and uh, opening... Mm. Opening up for literal, uh, for average white band and Jimmy Buffett and people like that, and um, yeah, and kind of spreading our fame overseas. Well, the Little River Band paved the way for bands like ACDC, Men at Work, Air Supply, Savage Garden, and so many more. You really open up the doors for Australian music. People started to look over their shoulder and say. Hey, what's happening down under? There's some good stuff coming up. Yeah, um, yeah. Little River Band went on and sold more than 30 million albums. Right. 13 top 10 US top 40 hits, uh, that, which is astounding when you think about it. I asked Glenn this. You did a, li a big live gig. Was it in Texas where there was like 120,000 people in the audience in a in a in a in a in a uh, uh -huh. baseball field or something like that was that the biggest gig you played? Yeah, it would have been. We did a few of those that that were it was you know it was close to a hundred thousand people. Um, we did one concert. Right, I posted something on Facebook not long ago. It was a photo of uh, it was like an, an aerial photo of the Yale Bowl which is in Connecticut. Right. And uh, we yeah. we did a show there with the Eagles and Hart. And uh, it would have wow. it would have Good been bill. close, if not over a hundred thousand people. But you know, um, those things were not unusual in the American summers because that's when they used to put on those you know summer jams and stuff like that. And uh, yeah. we 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 did a, we did a lot of those kinds of shows, and they were like multi acts uh, kind of shows that went all day long. You know, in the heat of the summer. And, yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, everybody just came out and had a great time, you know. I mean, how do you get your head around, you know, strapping on the guitar, then walking on stage yeah. and looking out and seeing 100,000 people? <laughs> you know. How do you do that? Well, you just do it because that's what you do, you know. Yeah. Um, mm. But it is pretty amazing, Gavin, when you stand on the stage and you look out 
and you see all these people. It's just the thrill, really, when you think about it. It's a thrill to be able to do that and for people to love the music that you created and you're up there and you're playing your music and, you know, it's an appreciation thing from the fans, really, when you think about it. So how do you feel now listening to the radio station in, in Nashville Yeah, and all of a sudden an ad comes on for the Little River Band playing at such and such casino this Saturday night and then one of your songs comes on as a backing <laughs> underneath? How do you feel? Uh, how do I feel or how do I act? Uh, both. <laughs> I'm probably at, over the bowl throwing up because <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's not it's not the yeah. real Little River Band. You know, and I say respectfully that they're a tribute band now. They have the name, yeah. but they don't have the history. And, um, you know, it's like, yep. you know, when I look at the world nowadays, especially in Australia, there seem to be more tribute bands in Australia than anywhere else in the world. You know, when you look at Bjorn again and, uh, you know, mm, Led Zeppelin, mm. all that sort of stuff. And I have to sit here and scratch my head and think, well, hang on, where's the originality anymore? You know, I mean... Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how I started off in music, Gavin. I started playing music yeah. that was popular on radio and Zoot would play those songs and do our versions of them kind of thing. But there comes a time yeah. in your life when you have to move on from that and, and start to do your original stuff if you want to make a mark on, on you know, on of the course. world music yeah. scene. Mm. So, yeah. Well, can I, can I just say, well, when I introduced you on the Countdown yeah. Arena Spectacular, you know, what, what's in a name? Yeah. And when I said Bertel, Shorek, Goebel, the crowd went yeah. wild. Everybody knows the story... And and that twelve minute set that you yeah. did on the Arena Spectacular was spectacular. Yeah, it was really it was really well put together. I, I, Graham and I worked on that on on putting you know going seamlessly from one head into the other. We decided we decided yeah, to do yeah. a medley because there were just you know we had too many songs to uh, to put into you know a a three or four minute set and so uh, uh, we decided that uh, to do a medley would be better and so and it made it a little bit different mm. from all the other acts that were on and um, I, I, I mm. think that medley you know worked wonderful uh, when you see it back now on video and stuff from that from that particular you know oh, DVD yeah. that, that countdown spectacular that was released it's fabulous, you know, it turned out great. As Molly would say, do yourself a favour, go onto YouTube and punch in Bertel Shorek Goebel Countdown Arena Spectacular. Yeah. And you will be entertained and blown away just simply by you guys on stage and the harmonies are still there, they're still strong, just like it was back in 1977. Well, you know, it's still the same three voices when you think about it, you know. I mean, we may be, yeah. we may be a little bit older now, but it's it, it's still those three voices that created that particular blend, you know, that harmony that, that people loved. Now, the uh, three songs that you wrote in protest, one was from Graham Goebel. Yes. Someone has taken my history. Yes. Which I think is a very smart, clever, brilliant song. Right, right. Every night when I got on the bus, yep. you know, and yep. it's just, it's one of those great songs and it just says it all. 
Yes. And the three of us are, are actually singing on, on that particular song. Yeah. And then you wrote Revolving Door. Right. Let it hit your ass on the way out, <laughs> which, I, which, is, which is a great <laughs> song. I love it. My, mine was a bit more cynical, I think. Yes, that was to the point. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> and Glenn uh, wrote Hear My Voice. Right. Which was probably, you know, it just means that the three of you were hurt so deeply that the the name had just gone and that and that whole heritage yeah. the whole heritage had gone when when you are the heritage yes exactly i know i know it's a real shame and i don't know you know because we're we're older now i i very much doubt whether there will be some kind of farewell tour from the original little river band guys i mean i would love to see that happen mm, we um, all would you know I mean, I, I, on a personal level, I, I know that I still have the energy to do it mm. and uh, to come back and, and, and hear those voices together again would, would be a thrill for me again. Mm. But um, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds, you know. No, well, we live in hope. Now, uh, in, in 1979, yeah. Beeb, yeah, you married Donna. Oh, yeah, I remember her. And uh, <laughs> and released uh, last romance. Now was that was that about Donna being your last romance? No, no, it was not. <laughs> so the eight years of touring, the eight years of touring the world took its toll on you. And uh, with you and Donna, have two beautiful daughters, Hannah and Emmy. And uh, how many grandchildren have you got? Uh, we have two grandsons. Um, Hannah, our, Hannah, our oldest daughter has two little boys, Ashton and Brody, who we love and we get to see right. quite often. It's yeah. it's it's great. And how do you feel about that, seeing your, your grandchildren? Oh, oh, mate, I adore it. I, I just adore it. When, when you consider that the struggle that we had and, and all your touring and me and radio going around the country and everything like that, we're too busy on building a career yeah. and you have kids and, and, and then all of a sudden – you know, you, you, you kind of miss that time you had with your with your daughters and and all of that. And, yeah. And then they give you son and give you grandchildren. Right. And it, and you, now you've got more time to spend with them, and it's just brilliant. That's what that's what Donna and I love about it: the fact that we have the time now to you know travel and get to see them and uh, spend time with them. I mean, it's very cool. So, mate, it's great to have the perfect, uh, the perfect family. I'm really happy for you. Thank you. In 2006, you were inducted into the Australian Songwriters Hall of Fame. That would have been a blast for you. It was, but actually, two two years before that, in 2004, we were uh, Little River Band was inducted into the Australian Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which was um, yeah. a, a, another incredible thing for us to experience. Um, the songwriters thing, yeah, definitely. That was cool too, you know. Um, and yeah. and they were so close together when you think about it, you know, just two years apart. Um, right. But, you know, hey, like I told you at the beginning of, of this show, um, that's still, it's still my passion, you know. I'm still sitting here mm. getting song ideas and writing songs and wanting to record them, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, good luck with it because you're right there. Have you hooked up with another Aussie 
mate of mine in Nashville, Mark Moffat. Yeah, I know Mark. We've we've been at uh, certain gatherings together. Fantastic. In fact, last time when Russell Morris came over. Yeah, I remember that. And played yeah, and, and played some shows. Donna and I went, and, and Mark was there as well. Yeah, that was that was good. It was great to see Russell. Again. Yeah, yeah. I I spent a few uh, long days with him in LA. Yeah, I bet. Oh, yeah. We. Uh... <laughs> I bet you did. <laughs> we looked after it. We we gave him a good time in West Hollywood. Good, good. Well, mate, it's been absolutely an absolute pleasure catching up with you and 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 what you're doing now and what you've done and all of that. It's been a a wonderful, wonderful career, and it's still going on. And it's good that we're you know that we're all all positive and we all want to do more. I I, I think it's just great how we're living our lives. I know. I I I totally agree with you. I mean, that's you know. I often say to Donna, you know, the word retirement is just not part of my vocabulary. Oh, no. It's, uh, I, I, I want to keep doing stuff and, you know, recording new stuff. And, yeah, it's just, like I said before, it's in my blood, you know. Yeah. Now, we always end this Countdown podcast with 10 easy questions. Okay. So they're questions without notice. So if you can't think of an answer, don't worry. We'll move on to the next one, okay? Okay. First question, who inspired you to make music? Uh, my, my good friend, John Darcy, the first guitar player in, Littera- in uh, Zoot. I okay. Mean. Now, what have you learnt over your musical journey? To be tolerant and to be patient. What's the effect of Countdown to your career? Oh, well, it, it was integral uh, for the promotion of the band's music. If you could open up a show for any artist, who would it be? Hmm... That's an interesting one. Um, I would say Crosby, Stills and Nash. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> some of those songs are <laughs> just brilliant, aren't they? <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, name your three dinner guests, dead or alive. Oh, wow. That's interesting. We'll have to skip that one. Question number six. What's your favorite song to perform? It's a long way there. Yeah, the, the harmonies are brilliant, aren't they? Well, it's just the musicality of that whole song is brilliant. Uh, what's the most trouble you've ever gotten into, Beat Burgles? <laughs> uh, I'm a lightweight, Gavin. I, I don't think I've been in trouble all that much. Oh, you know what? I tell you, the most trouble I got into, I was, I was almost called up to join the army in Zoot. And I got, right. I, ah. you know, I got out of it somehow. Well, good on you. So did I. <laughs> <laughs> Question eight. If you could change anything about the music industry, what would you do? Go back to what the music business was in the, in the early 70s. Yeah, where you actually bought an album, took it home and totally consumed the songs and the vinyl and read all the cover notes and looked at all the photos. And, oh, yeah, it was a, yes. it was a whole experience, wasn't yes. it? Yes, not only that part of it, but also the management and the booking agencies and everything to do with music around those days was just spectacular. Yeah. And I might add, one of the reasons why so many kids nowadays still you know listen to 70s music because it was the best now second last question what is the best show that you've ever done that's another very very difficult question there were so many great 
great shows that we did. Um, yeah, I, that it, that would be too difficult for me to pick, Gavin. Okay. And final question, what have you learnt and what would you pass on to a young, hopeful musician? I would have to say, you know, if you have the passion in your heart to want to go into music, then let your heart pave the way. Let your heart rule what you want to do and let the circumstances around all of that just fall into place. Fantastic. Now, we'll go back to the uh, one you uh, were probably still thinking about. Uh, your three dinner guests. Do you uh, have any in mind, dead or alive? My three dinner guests would be Princess Diana, with, oh, yes. without Charles. Yes. Love to have dinner with David Crosby, who was my inspiration as a songwriter. And uh, I think my third one would have to be Donna, my wife. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great love affair, that one. I'm very happy for you. <laughs> uh, Matt, it's been an absolute pleasure to uh, to uh, spend some time with you. Uh, good luck in, in Nashville and good luck with future songwriting uh, endeavours. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing Zoot back here in Australia. Yes. October, early October 2022. Yes, I'm looking forward to that. And, and if our paths cross, Gavin, I would love to hook up again sometime. Don't worry. We'll fall over each other somewhere. Okay, that's great. Well, stay well and stay healthy with all this madness going around the world. And, uh, and we'll try and do the same over here. Brilliant, my friend. Lovely to talk to you. Stay well, and we will catch up as soon as you get back here. You got my number. Gavin Wood's Countdown Podcast was thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives.